Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. For the last time in Season 3, Skyward Sword, I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby, and by one other illustrious guest. You know him, you love him. That would be Mike the Detective, joining us for his third appearance this season. Uh, I mean, what can I say? I feel like he's uh, he's just so good at this at this point that... Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll just bump Matt off and uh, get Mike on permanently. I thought we already covered that last week, that that is not an option. There can only be one Highlander. (laughs) Does that mean I have to behead you? Because that's how that works in the movie. I still like to think of my odds in that. (laughs) I mean, I don't want to fight you because obviously you being a detective and uh, law enforcement officer, I don't think that that's something I want to do. But uh... you have a lot of heart, Matt. But what you can never you can never discount the fact that Mike is a man born into the wrong century and on the wrong continent. Well, that's absolutely accurate. So this this man was a knight errant in another life, (laughs) a knight errant or a, a Norse pillager or something something you don't want to meet on the high seas Man, you guys are just making me blush <laughs> <laughs> mike we are thrilled to have you back for this recap episode of skyward sword and i think you're our first three-peat guest for a single season we uh for a single season he's definitely the first three-peat kylie is an ocarina if you count bonus episodes so it's me and Kylie in the three-peat club? Exactly. Yeah. But I think you're in good company then. Oh, hey, Kylie. <laughs> I mean, the best company. Um, yeah. No, we're, we're thrilled to have you back on. And honestly, for selfish reasons, because at the end of this episode, we're going to rank this game against the ones that we previously played. And I feel like it's going to behoove us to have a tiebreaker vote. But we'll see what happens when we get there. That, of course, is going to take place later in the episode. Before we get there, Matt, how are you doing tonight? I am fantastic. It is a chilly night in Texas. Finally, it is November and we're finally below 50 degrees. Yeah, when he says chilly, (laughs) he means 45 degrees Fahrenheit. So I feel like that constitutes as chilly. I didn't say cold. I said chilly. If I've got to put on a jacket, it's chilly. I would agree with that statement. Okay, that's fair. Thank you, Mike, for backing me up there. So anyway, it is fantastic. We are smoking some stogies, drinking some whiskey, in some nice cozy jackets, and having a good time talking about Zelda. And you know what, Lyndon? I know you and I talked about this after we were done recording last week. It does not feel like uh, it has been 10 weeks, 11 now, since we started Skyward Sword. And um, it is just hard for me to believe that we have come to the end of our third season of this podcast. Um, time is flying. And uh, as as Roland Deschane says, time is a face on the water. Cause a wheel, Doc. Cause is a wheel. Uh, 19. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I think... Uh, uh, Wes, Wes3DP was, uh, he, I, I can't remember if he said this on Twitter or I know he's on a few different things. I think it was Twitter. Um, he was just saying that he, he can't, could not believe that we were already at demise last week. And honestly, it's just, it's so true. Um, I feel like we blew through this game and it's still, I mean, it was, it was 10 whole weeks. 
So it was not an inconsequential amount of time, but I mean, it, it feels like absolutely nothing. So I guess that means it was fun, right? Absolutely. You know, they always say time flies when you're having fun. And I will say just before we even get started, I had a blast playing through this game for the fourth time. Um, just as fun, if not more. And just I am so excited to sit down and chat through and, and end up ranking it. And uh, I think this is going to be a really good recap episode. Yeah, and I had a blast playing through it for the first time. So, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm ready to go back and play it again yet, but it's definitely going to be a repeat. For sure. I think like Linda and I were also talking about this last week uh, after the episode was, you know, I'll give it a, a solid six months to a year. And then I fully plan on going back to play this on master mode because I, I have yet to actually play it on master mode. Um, I really wanted to do it this time, but unfortunately with it being on the switch and not importing saves or anything, you have to beat the game on normal before you can play it on master. So that was a little disappointing, but I am definitely going to be replaying this game uh, at some point in the future near ish future uh, on master mode. Very excited for that experience. I also had an amazing time with this game and just to echo what you're saying, Matt, um, next year, next two years, something like that. Uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to doing this again on master mode. It sounds like it should be a decently difficult time. Um, and that is one thing that I will say about this game is that I never felt particularly challenged in any way by it. Um, which is not to say that I didn't have a good time with it cause I really did, but I, I would definitely be down for an uptick in the difficulty level. Um, and I love the fact that this game is now on the switch and, at whatever point I decide I'm in the mood to do that, I can just pick it up and go. And that's a wonderful feeling. Absolutely agree. And uh, the Switch being the premier console for dads and workaholics alike. So there you go. I think it, it satisfies everyone in this group. What if you're a dad and a workaholic? Well, then you don't have time to do anything. So you got to pick one. That's why it took me this long to get through this game. <laughs> Well, you say that. You beat it before Matthew or I did. Yeah, and this is probably the fastest I've beat a game in the last <clears throat> eight months. I mean, normally I, it took me six months to get through The Witcher 3. So, <laughs> Well, that that game is one you can sink 200 hours into and not beat. So, you know, impressive still. Yep, and I enjoyed every minute of that, unlike Red Dead Redemption 2, where <laughs> I'm still not entirely sure why I spent so much time on that. Yeah, I dropped off that game right around the point where uh, he starts your main character. I don't even remember his name starts getting sick. Like once he started getting sick, I was just so overwhelmed by side quests and hunting and all the random things. And I couldn't even tell where the main storyline was anymore. And I was like, you know what? I just have too many other things going on in my life that are taking up too much time, so I'm not going to invest it in this. Well, you know, Rockstar is releasing the original Grand Theft Auto trilogy remastered, completely remastered on the Switch in addition to other platforms in the near future. So we can only hope that they backtrack and do the same thing for the original Red Dead uh, because that game with a fresh coat of paint on the Switch would be dangerous for me. Like, <laughs> man. I, I never played the original Red Dead. Oh, God. dude. Was it really good? Was you need it, was to it good? do that pretty much pronto. Okay. I mean, I, I loved the combat system and the fantasy of being a cowboy in the Wild West that Red Dead Redemption 2 brought me. The the Deadeye mode and the just being able to customize your revolvers and everything that went into all of that was super fun for me. I just got overwhelmed. And like I played Skyrim and Witcher, so like I'm I'm not easily overwhelmed by a video game. So Red I, I got overwhelmed by Red Dead 2. Red Dead 1 does not have the same suite of weapon customization 
that Red Dead 2 does, and I'd say that's the only thing that Red Dead 2 really brought to the table that I would love to see happen in Red Dead 1. Um, the, the elevator pitch on Red Dead 1 is that it's everything you liked about Red Dead 2 and nothing you didn't like. It's just a much more focused game. 100%. And I, I think the story on Red Dead 1 is a lot better. Way, way better, okay. honestly. That's fair. So do that. Well, this is not a Red Dead podcast, but I'm glad we had a little tangent. So that was that was fun. Thank you, Rockstar and uh, all associated studios. But uh, we're here to talk about Zelda. This is Yeehaw Realms, a Red Dead Redemption <laughs> retrospective podcast. Ain't, ain't nobody got time for another podcast right now. <laughs> Boy, you ain't kidding. Dear God, you ain't kidding. All right, let's go ahead and get into some housekeeping, and then we're going to jump into the meat of this episode because Lord knows we have a lot to talk about. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game, and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much more. As we announced on the show last week, we have already decided what game we are playing next. Episode one of that is going to start with Season 4 next Wednesday, November 17th, and the game that we are playing is... A Link to the Past! The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. What what many, what I think most people would call a timeless classic. Um, what many people say is their personal favorite Zelda game and has never been topped in the, uh, in the entire series since that time. Um, you know, what do we think? We'll let you know. But having replayed it within the last two years, I'm, I'm excited to get back into it. I think it's a truly timeless game, and I'm thrilled for Matt to get into it and to experience it for the first time. It will indeed be my first time. I am a Link to the Past virgin, and this is going to be a lot of fun. It's uh, one of the things—actually, this was probably the game. No, I think Wind Waker. I thought I have played a little bit of Wind Waker, but this is— one of the two games that got me most excited about the prospect of this podcast and having to do this and being Lyndon's co-host was um, getting to play this game for the first time. Uh, well, that moment is rapidly approaching. It's going to be very exciting. Mike, are you going to play uh, Link to the Past with us? I am. So I'm going to go ahead and get the subscription um, for the online to play it. You want to do a family sharing plan and split the price? I will neither confirm nor deny <laughs> to do that. Um, I don't know who's listening, you know. But we're family, Mike. It's it's not against the rules. Yes, brothers. We are brothers. Anywho, <laughs> let's get into the Sacred Realms recap. That, of course, is the section at the end of every season of this show where we break down a few key points uh, of feedback uh, around our experience with this game. We talk about our final thoughts. We get into the nitty-gritty of everything now that it's finished. Part one of the Sacred Realms recap is the plot, where we have a freewheeling discussion about the plot of this game. Uh, how we feel like um, it progressed as we played and how we feel that the story wrapped up. So, Matt, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to let you lead off because going into this season, you were the Skyward Sword guy. Like, this is your game. You uh, you love this game more than anyone else I've ever talked to, even more than me, and I love it quite a lot. Um, so what I want to hear from you is, having replayed this story, does it live up to everything that you had in your head going into it? 
So speaking about it as strictly from our point number one, from the plot perspective, right? Because um, we're going to get into the all the other aspects of the game in the recap. Speaking strictly from a plot perspective, yes, it, it absolutely lived up to everything that I remember it being. Um, it has incredibly engaging characters. The story of growth and progression um, is not limited to Link. And in many Zelda games, you really only experience the plot through Link's point of view. But in Skyward Swords, you get the uh, amazing experience to experience the plot not only through Link but through Zelda and through Groose and through Impa and through Fee and you get to experience their growth as characters throughout the entire time and you and even you know you and I were talking about this a little bit at the end of last episode was in the credit scene you actually get to experience the story in, in a little bit of a different way from Zelda's point of view during the first part of the game where she's going through and trying to find the spiritual springs and pray at all of them and you get to experience her getting captured by the Bokoblins and uh and freed by Impa. And, and so all of that to say that, yes, um, I, I think the plot of this game stands up as being, in my opinion, the most in-depth and engaging uh, Zelda Link uh, plot of a Zelda game so far. Um, it is the very first chronologically Zelda game. So you get to experience the the origin point of many of the things that you love about The Legend of Zelda. And I would think that it's unlikely that Nintendo's ever going to go further past that. Right. I mean, I don't see how they really could unless they decided to do the original conflict between Demise and Hylia, which I don't know how they would be able to do that. But would that even have Link in it? Exactly. That's the thing. It's like it wouldn't have the goddess's chosen knight because there wasn't one. Like you would have to play the whole story from Hylia's perspective or from Demise's. And I just like, don't see how that would work. Yeah. I don't think they would ever have you play as Demise. Um, I could kind of see them doing something where you played as maybe Zelda uh, or, you know, an incarnation of, of the goddess, but I, I'm not sure that that's something that they're going for at this point. Yeah. And, and that would directly conflict with the canon of Zelda as established in this game, because as established in this game, Zelda is the physical reincarnation of Hylia that she gave up at the end of the Great War against Demise. And that's so, a good point. I, I think they really didn't make this as a jumping off point for yeah. the rest of Zelda. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And like one of the things that one of the most engaging, I would say, subplots of the game is the creation of the Master Sword from the Goddess Sword and in seeing how Link as the the original incarnation of the Goddess's chosen hero has to go through personal growth alongside the Master Sword and alongside the spirit of the Master Sword being Fee to see them grow together and form the unbreakable bond that lasts through every cycle of incarnation that they have and creating the the blade that you know the chosen blade of of legend that we see in every uh, in not every game but in most other Zelda games. So and I like what you said about Link growing in this game too because this might be an unpopular opinion. But I, I think that Link is a very one-dimensional character for most of the Legend of Zelda universe. You don't see a lot of development other than, hey, you're a kid, you've got this bloodline, now you're the hero. Yeah. Um, I think they really did a good job of, in this game, kind of endearing him to you past that. Like you said, he starts out as kind of the, the lazy layabout, not really having to work for anything. And then because of the situations thrust upon him he has to grow as a character and i think this game did do a good job of showing him grow 
Yeah, and I think that's the most engaging thing about Link in this game for me is is watching him go through that and watching him struggle. Like that, you know, there's the point in the second dungeon, the Earth, the Earth Temple, where Impa says, like, you failed today. Like you failed to protect Zelda. You are supposed to be the chosen hero of the goddess and you didn't do what you were supposed to do. Like you can't just walk through life anymore. You've got to step up and grow and do and do better. And like you see Link take that to heart in the, you know, even though he's an unvoiced character, you see the facial expression and the demeanor of of his person as that happens. And you see him take that to heart and move forward with renewed purpose to become the first wielder of the Triforce. And like, he is the first person in history to wield the ultimate power of the Triforce. He's the first person to really go through all of these trials and and to come out the other side stronger and better for it. So Mike, I'm going to turn it over to you now. Give me like a really, just a, a gut reaction. Did you enjoy the plot of this game as much as it sounds like Matt did? Yeah, I, I, I say I did. Um, it started out a little bit goofy for me at the beginning, and I wasn't kind of sure where it was going to go. Um, but really quickly, it kind of amps up, especially once Zelda disappears below the clouds. Um, I think it really starts taking off pretty quick. And with a few stalls along the way, I did really enjoy the story, um, especially at the end where it all culminates. Um, Matt had said it that, you know, he tears up during T's fees farewell yeah um pretty frequently i wouldn't say that it brought a tear to my eye but i felt way more invested than i thought i was going to feel mm-hmm. at both that and impas and i think that that again attributes kind of like y'all had talked about on the last episode the the music um meshed with the narrative and then the character development in this game really kind of pulled it together and, and did good things for me so i would agree with all of that um I had nothing but good memories about this plot going into the game, and so for me, it was mostly trying to examine it critically and decide if I thought the story itself holds up, and I I personally found that, yes, it does. I think um, whatever else you want to say about this game, uh, it cannot be denied that the, the story that it tells is much more epic in scope and at the same time much more personal than any other Zelda game for the most part. I, uh, really any other Zelda game that I can think of. Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't think even Breath of the Wild I would put over that. So um, yeah, I definitely think it was a stunning success from a storytelling standpoint for all the reasons that both of you just mentioned. What's up? No, I was just gonna let you finish your thought, but I wanted to jump in after that okay yeah i think it was a stunning success from that perspective um there there are some things that i had forgotten about from my previous playthroughs that um kind of crept back up here that i enjoyed even more on this playthrough a lot of that came from the personalities of the surface characters um not necessarily the kikwis so much but like the magmas i really enjoyed their personalities um all the individual dragons with their personalities I really enjoyed. Uh, this game just has a massive cast of characters, and I don't feel like it really misuses any of them. I don't feel like, from a narrative standpoint, any character is useless in this story. So um, that in and of itself is impressive because there are so many that you interact with. But, I mean, also, just from like a set piece standpoint, like big moments that happen in this game, there are a lot of great ones, like a lot of great pulse-pounding um, you know, very theatrical moments in this game. And I think we saw a little bit of that in previous 3D games. Um, I think 
Ocarina of Time did it the best that it could. Majora's Mask took that ball and ran with it. And then it kind of gradually uh, ramped up throughout Wind Waker and Twilight Princess, especially in Twilight Princess, um, to the point where, you know, the the people designing the story in this game, I think, were just very comfortable with how to pull those moments off in this game. Um and it just has such a tone, you know, like the 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 storytelling combined with the music and the atmosphere and the art style, it just makes you feel a certain way. This is a very bright and cheery feeling game at all times, even when things are intense. And I think that that kind of intentional, uh, that intentional setting of tone is not easy to do in video games or storytelling just in general. And they pulled it off, and it really uh, it deserves all the commendation in the world for for riding that line successfully. Yeah, I I I totally agree. And to your point about trying to examine this critically, right? Like it, it is our intent and our objective on this podcast to examine these games from a critical perspective, right? From an objective point of view, and and as much as we are colored by our personal opinions and really you know that's what we're here to talk about we also have to to take a step back and say like what works and what doesn't work so while i i I have to say that this is my favorite plot of any zelda game i also have to acknowledge objectively the times in which it falls short and and i think the main the main weakness that i find with skyward sword is the pacing of the story and while and I think we really talked a lot about this. Well, you two did when I was uh, when I was otherwise indisposed. Was there? There are some sections of this game, too specifically, where you are building up so much momentum in story and character building and plot, and then it just comes so it just comes to a halt so abruptly and so unnecessarily through uh, repetitive tasks or or making you replay things in an unenjoyable fashion that like there are there are parts of this game that i i wish really were, were not in there um as much as as much as i hate to say that um I feel like the story and the plot and the game itself are less for having uh, the song of the hero portion and uh, the Isle of Songs portion. But you in see, this game. but a dissenting opinion from what you're saying, which I can't believe I'm saying. So I agree that the pacing is off and that that momentum is kind of ruined going into the back half. It makes me sad because from a story beat standpoint, a lot of the things that happen in the Song of the Heroes section are cool, like meeting Levios, meeting all the dragons, having to do all that. It's not that I thought that those things were not interesting from a story perspective. It's just that they're wrapped up in they were such executed poorly. Yeah, they're they're wrapped up in such baffling game design decisions. And I guess that's probably that's a much better way of putting it. I think because I don't I don't, I agree with you completely. Levios is an interesting character, and the story of of how. Link unlocks the final sacred realm and finds the temple of the Triforce. Like all of that is important and is interesting in and of itself. But the execution of those story beats is such a strong detractor that it, it spoils it a little bit for me from just the overall experience, not necessarily from the story itself, but for the overall experience. Yes, and that's the thing. the The story isn't affected by those, uh, like you said. The execution, I think, was a little off on some of those. Um, meeting those characters was fun, but when it comes down to the economy of time, which matters more to us now, playing this game. If I'd have played this back when I played Ocarina, whenever I could wake up at four a.m. on a Saturday morning and play a couple hours before cartoons came on, this would have meant nothing. I, I would have. Right played that without skipping a beat i probably would have thought the tad tones were cool because i was getting to swim but as you're you're 
taste in the game changes and your economy of time is different, then yes, it was a detractor for me. Yeah, I, that, that's a really good point. Is it, it, it does very much depend on where we are in, in our, our life phase, right? And how many other games we've played and, and where we've seen and what we know we enjoy out of games in general. So yeah, that's a, it's a good perspective to keep that we might have a different perspective on this portion of game than somebody else. So one thing we have to mention is I feel like the, the character pillars to any Zelda game are generally speaking Link, Zelda, Ganondorf or Ganon and or demise in this instance and then Link's companion and obviously not every game follows that formula but most of them have some version of that so I want to talk real quick uh how do we feel about this game's Link it's Zelda it's companion and it's main villain uh, so I'll jump off here um I think We've talked about it a little bit. Um, I do think that this game, Zelda, is probably the strongest Zelda uh, of any incarnation that I've seen thus far. I was really invested in her character um, in trying to save her and recover her. Um, Like you talked about whenever Impa says, you failed. Well, I took that personally. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not going to sit there and just fail. I mean, I, I think that probably a lot of players, whenever they're told that, they're like, well, okay, I'm going to do better now. And right. so it pushes you forward. And that's part of the narrative is, is you're having to get up off your butt and start actually trying as Link. So that in entail made Link a more compelling character in this game too, because he has real investment, um, real emotions. As, mu- as much as the goofy eyes and facial expressions are there, I think that he did have more development as a character. Um, the companion, I did enjoy Fee. So I never played this back whenever Fee was apparently a little bit too much Fee. Yeah. Um, and I could see that because I still at times was like, Fee, you need to shut up. Yeah, for uh, sure. Please. <clears throat> but then, you know, it, it's kind of like with your endeared friend, like you want to tell him to shut up, but you're like, but I mean, but like, don't stop. Yeah. But don't like go away. <laughs> just like be quiet yeah, a little more frequently. I need 30% less Fee. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I, I really did enjoy her. And I think if they hadn't have pulled it together with Fee's farewell and her her eternal slumber and the Master Sword, I would have docked her several points down as far For as sure. a companion. But man, did that reel me in at the very end. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and to all of your points, this this game and one of the things that I've said frequently in bonus episodes and in, and in other episodes of, of Sacred Realms is that this Zelda Link relationship is the strongest Zelda Link relationship of any game I have personally played. I've heard that the Z- the Link Tetra relationship in Wind Waker is... It's good. It's not this good. Okay. So I was about to say, I've, I've heard that that is a close contender. The, the Zelda Link in Breath of the Wild through the memories is very good, but that doesn't feel quite as impactful as it is in this game because it's actually part of the game, whereas in Breath of the Wild, it's memories that you're recovering. Um, this game from the get-go has you invested in the Zelda Link romance. And, and you know, it, it, it's very obvious from the very beginning that there is a romance. It's not just a friendship. Like, it is it is teen, you know, all, older teen, young adult love that is obviously there. Um, and and it's not just Link protecting Zelda. In the very beginning, beginning of the game, Zelda is jumping up in Groose's face protecting Link from Groose. And then it, the roles kind of reverse a little bit where you're trying to rescue her. 
but she doesn't exactly need the rescuing. She's still a strong, independent woman who don't need no man, but she wants Link to be there and Link wants to be there. And so there's so much investment and growth and and adultness in that relationship that I value. Um, so I'll, I'll side that there. I see Mike's trying to trying to jump in. So I'll let oh, you no, jump in before I good. talk about I've, fee. I'm just getting in here because my, my head needs to be close to the mic. But, okay, uh, fair enough. <laughs> uh, no. So I, yes, I agree with what you're saying. I think this one is more about the partnership yeah. than really the, the savior damsel relationship that sure. sometimes can be. Cause it did feel very much like you said, this one's in real time, real investment, between the two characters, I felt like Zelda was more of a partner to Link than a side character mm-hmm. in this one. Um, the Tetra relationship is fun, um, but it's, it's different. Like Lyndon said, you'll yeah. you'll you'll get to it. I don't want to spoil anything for you because I'm really excited for you to play Wind Waker. Yeah, but I, the other iterations, even Ocarina, is still one of my favorite games of all time. That game, you get very little Zelda, and yeah. if Zelda wasn't chic. Uh, also in that game yeah then there's like nothing yes and but there it's kind of a partnership too just it, it's more ambiguous on if there's romance more of she's doing her thing you're doing your thing to come to a common goal right I, i've never subscribed to the belief that the zelda link relationship in ocarina is romantic yeah i don't think so either i when i was very young like i always thought like oh zelda and link are supposed to be together but like as i've grown up and like actually understand generally speaking, relationships and romance that d- doesn't mesh there, right? Oh, Link wants Marin hard. Uh, Talon. Is it Talon in that one? No, Talon is the dad. <laughs> Hold on. He does not want the dad hard. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. no. Okay. Malin. It's so, Malin. Yeah, so, Malin. Well, it's confusing because in- Marin o- is oh, Link's Awakening. Yes, in, 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 <laughs> okay, in Ocarina, it was, Mal- it was Malin and Talon, and in Link's Awakening, it was Marin and Terran. But it's like- <laughs> <laughs> But so my wires are getting crossed. But here. like, there's still there's the same characters ish. So it's like, yeah. so anyway. But yes, I think you're right, Link. I think Horse Link, Girl, Link and Malon. Horse Girl, yeah, there you go. Link and Malon is the bigger thing in Ocarina, and yeah, I don't think that. Uh, certainly, I don't think that Link and Talon is. The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I'm, a, that's I'm a go dark with, universe twist right there. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna go with. Yeah, I don't think that that's <laughs> what's going on either. Um, so. Hard agree on all points. Uh, I think I've said all I really want to about the Zelda Link relationship. But I did want to circle back to, so we talked about also doing the villain. Which oh, yeah. And I think in this case, having the two villains didn't detract for me at all. Not at I all. Know that, so some people opinion. had mentioned that. I really liked David Bowie. I mean, you're him. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he uh, was a, a quirky but compelling character. He's got a stated goal. You know he's he's in this for his master to to revive him, but you're not sure what Gearhim's getting out of this. And really, in the end, it kind of takes it to a dark place of Gearhim's really not getting anything out of this for himself, which right. I think goes to really show the companionship level between him and Demise and you and Fee. You know, I think Fee would do those same things for you if if given the chance. Mm-hmm. But then y'all had talked in the last episode about how it's good versus evil. It's the the character or the lackey, for a better word, being forced to serve the master as where Fee is more of a, a willing companion. Yeah. At no point do you get the impression that Link sees Fee as a tool. And that's right. 100% the way that Demise 
sees Girahim. And you can see that because immediately upon his resurrection, Girahim is all, Master, welcome back, blah, blah, blah. Demise doesn't say a single word to Girahim. He just literally throws his hand and uses his power to force Girahim back into his sword form. Not an acknowledgement whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, so he he had absolutely zero care for Girahim, where you have a lot of respect, at least for me, for Fee. And I really want an alternate ending where Gearham just kind of punks Demise and just ends up being a giant free-floating sword. It <laughs> just, like, doesn't go back to his hand and just, like, chills out. <laughs> well, so here's so, – okay, so here's an interesting point that I'd love to get into. Do you guys feel like Demise is the main villain of this game, or do you think it's Gearham? I think if if Demise had been flushed out a little bit – I know yeah. I know this has kind of been hashed out with y'all already, but – if there had been some flashbacks, another intro scene, as y'all had talked about, showing more demise, or maybe even some, like, not Easter eggs necessarily, but some narrative points along the way of uncovering more information about demise, maybe some, like, tablets or flashbacks through, like, the goddess's eyes, I think that could have been really compelling. He was great, but he was only in it for a hot minute. Right. I think— the, the phrase and, main, we're, and we're not counting the imprisoned, by the way. No, like, the imprisoned and demise are, di- are different. They're the same entity, but they're different characters. Yeah, I mean, and I didn't hate the character design of the imprisoned. The fights were, were atrocious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tedious, atrocious, different levels. Uh, I mean, they did bring in some mechanics that were fun, and I think without dem- without the imprisoned, you don't get the Groose development you would have gotten. I think that's uh, totally fair. I hadn't really thought about that. T- to your to your question, Lyndon, um, who is the main villain? Demise is very obviously the big bad, right? He is the let's call him the Palpatine of the original trilogy, right? He he is not the main character through everything, but he's obviously he he's the one that is all building up to, right? And Girahim's the Vader. Uh, Girahim's the Count Dooku. What? No, of the prequel trilogy. Oh, sorry. Uh, I don't yeah. even know. If, I I feel like Vader Palpatine is a better analog than. I mean, fair enough. We, we can go with that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll go with Vader Palpatine. There then. wasn't another little dagger being trained somewhere <laughs> that was going to be like the the other weapon. That's true. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So so yeah, we'll go we'll go with the, I like yeah Vader Palpatine analogy is pretty good. Um, it's like demise, and he's just got this pair of scissors, <laughs> and the whole time the whole time he's like. Garahim, you're a punk. I've got these other things. He's he's like, they don't appreciate you on Skyloft, scissors. (laughs) They'll never make you a real sword. Groose Groose becomes the actual sword. Oh, man, that makes me sad. Kill him. (laughs) So I I would say that while Garahim definitely is the primary antagonist for most of the game, Demise is still the main villain because Demise is always the end goal. Your end goal in the game is never to defeat Girahim. Your end goal in the game is to destroy Demise using the Triforce and then at the end using the Master Sword in the past. So I, I still am of the opinion that Demise is the is the main villain, whereas Girahim may be the primary antagonist. I don't I don't know. That's I, very semantic-y, but Yeah, I mean to me I understand everything you're saying. Demise for me never really was anything more than a plot point, and Girahim was a character. Um, I agree with that. So I think that when I think back to this game and I think about its villain, I think about Girahim much more than I think about Demise for whatever that's worth. 
I do too. Uh, and again, it's my first time, but I think that he was very much more compelling. And I really liked the way where with the Triforce, you destroy Demise. And with, I wouldn't say no effort, but with just that power of the Triforce in your timeline, but then it's Girahim who uses the mental wheels to figure out what he can do to stop that. And man, he thwarts you hard. Oh yeah, he 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 rains on your parade more than any villain that I can think of in another Zelda game. And I think you rain on his re- parade equally as much. <laughs> equally as much, for sure, although he's not alive to see it. <laughs> so let's get into the the main dude of this whole thing. Where do you Bruce. think... <laughs> Groose. <laughs> it, it, it is the legend of Groose, as we've said before. Um, no, so let's talk about this game's Link, just as this version of the hero... Um, the goddess's chosen hero. Matt, where do you think that this link stacks up to others? Because this is the one that I've got some more complicated feelings about. So I personally believe that outside of the fierce deity incarnation of Link in Majora's Mask, this may be the most powerful Link that I've seen. You can't even call that an incarnation of Link, though, because that's it's a, it's a you're right. It's sort of, but not really. That's more a manifestation of like Majora's alter like majora's uh main enemy it's it's more of like you're manifesting a god more than being a version of link yeah so outside of that i would say that in my personal experience with link this is probably the most at the end of the game the most powerful link he is the full fully embodied wielder of the triforce awaking awakener of the true master sword and defeat and he defeats the original demon king which is something that only the goddess hylia has done in the past and she didn't even defeat him completely she just hurt him enough to seal him away into his prison so like this version of link is in my opinion at the end the most powerful he is as i as i said you know in my rant earlier the most compelling version of Link personally. And uh, overall, he's a little bit of a doofus when it comes to his overacted facial expressions in some of the cutscenes. But uh, I I find myself actually relating to him far more than I have with many other, if not any other, Link. And I think that's on purpose because – so if this is the original – timeline-wise, right? You've got to have the strongest versions of all these people in themselves because everything from this is technically a shadow or reincarnations of these characters. And if he wasn't a strong character and Zelda wasn't a strong character, you wouldn't be getting these reincarnations throughout time. I think they're trying to make this the most compelling, potent link to where the rest that follow after him can seemingly do that. I agree. To me, this link is the one with the most personality. I think um, he's the most fully fleshed out character, and I really appreciate him for that. Uh, I feel like you understand a lot more of what Link is thinking and feeling in this game than you do in any other Zelda game. I personally still think that I find the hero of time, Ocarina of Time plus Majora's Mask Link, to be the the link by by which all other links are, are judged. Um, and that's a little unfair just because he's got two games to spread out across as opposed to this guy has one. Um, and so I guess we'll come back to the link of breath of the wild after its sequel and see where we're at with him. But, uh, I think the link of Ocarina of time and Jorah's mask, the hero of time, I think that he is as skilled in combat as this link is, and he has just as much 
personal investment going on as this link does. You see less of it in the storytelling, but his relationships with his people, the Kokiri, his friend Saria, his companion Navi, and then losing all of that and then getting dumped into Termina and having to like help solve all these other people's problems. Um, I don't know. I I have a lot of love for that version of Link, and I, I think I consider him maybe a little bit more powerful overall. Um, but uh, this is a question without a right answer necessarily. You know, that this is all – this is just completely down to how you identify with these characters. Well, and also I think with the Hero of Time, you have to do a lot of filling in the gaps that you don't necessarily have to do with the Hero of the Sky. And um, like you have to fill in the gap of of – where his personal investments lie just because of the lack of expression or, or characterization there. So I think us having being huge Zelda fans growing up with Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask are able more successfully to imprint ourselves upon the hero of time than maybe we would be if we played them for the very first time today. No, I think that's accurate. And so playing Ocarina when most of us played it. So young youth, <laughs> essentially, um, that transition from child link to adult link was very empowering. Um, I think I played that whenever I was maybe seven, eight. Yeah. Uh, it was my first video game. And whenever you go pull the master sword and become an adult, I was so jazzed. And oh, for sure. you're filling in a lot of those points, but it's personifying you essentially at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with all that. So moving on from there, can we just go ahead before we move on and acknowledge that Groose is the side character by which all other side characters must be judged hitherto for? Absolutely. And why don't we get reincarnations of Groose? I feel like we should, right? We, should. Like we need to have we need to have a plucky side character who is kind of a dick at the beginning <laughs> and then and then grows into like a lovable buffoony friend. So I've got some headcanon here. I don't know how accurate it is, but obviously at the end of this game, the humans on Skyloft end up populating the surface and they become the people of Hyrule. My headcanon has always been that Groose ends up going on to like found the Gerudo. The Gerudo. Yes. I mean, he's got red hair and everything. And it also it makes sense because then you have Groose, Zelda and Link as being the forebears of the future holders of the Triforce. And that sort of sucks for again, I don't know that this is true, but that sort of sucks for Groose because, you know, his descendants end up being the ones who like bear demise's curse on Zelda and Link. But so headcanon here as well. But so say that is Groose. Groose goes on to found the Gerudo, which means he essentially started a harem and moved out to the <laughs> desert to just bang a bunch of ladies, which good on you, Groose. That's the real legend of Groose right there. That seems like his his end goal when he was in Skyloft anyway. I mean, so. he was pretty swole. So, I mean, I could see some ladies going for that. But anyway, so you have that. Obviously, Demise can't possess the, the line of Zelda and Link, right? So he's got to go for who else pissed him off? Like Groose pissed him off and if Groose's line is available for him to come back and kind of stick it to the original let's just say original band by taking over that role I can kind of see that being a, a narrative point I like this headcanon I'm gonna I'm gonna subscribe to it as well we're all on the headcanon train woot but yeah Groose rocks nah Groose is great um 
yeah, before we move on, I want to just say my two cents about Fee. Um, Fee is probably my third favorite overall companion behind Tattle is my favorite because I think Tattle is everything that Navi was, but just like more spunky and less annoying. And then um, obviously Navi holds a special place in my heart because she's the OG. Um, I you mean Navi, right? I, I am intentionally pronouncing <laughs> it correctly. <laughs> okay, it. He's got it right. Don't confuse him. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> Lyndon. Come on. I'm trying to do better here. Why are you interrupting my character growth? I'm so sorry. Ugh. <laughs> Lord. Um, uh, so Navi has to be in the top three, obviously. I love, I, I do like Midna. I have to say I like Midna. As as a companion, her Midna's farewell, as you said last week, Lyndon, I think is the only companion farewell that tops fees. But just the the overall interaction of Midna, Link and Twilight Princess. And it's been a very long time since I played Twilight Princess. So maybe I'll revise my my statement here. But uh, I, I just don't remember Midna as nearly as much or being as impactful to my character as fee is. Yeah, you need to replay Twilight Princess. And I think that's something I'm excited to do whenever y'all get to it in this podcast. Agreed. Because I enjoyed Twilight Princess, but I only played it through one time. Yeah. That's the least I've ever played through a Zelda that I have beaten. Yep. And I really would like to revisit it because I remember her character being very compelling. The game wasn't necessarily my favorite Zelda, but like this game has points that I like. I wouldn't put it in my top slot. Right. But every Zelda brings something new to the table that is great. Yeah. I think that like, if for for me and and like I said, I am fully willing and able to revise this listing after I replay Twilight Princess now. But just where I'm at right now, recency bias included, is is that fee is in the top three and Midna is just barely below that. Okay, so your ranking goes Tattle Fee Midna. No, Tattle Navi Fee. Oh, okay, cool. See, mine goes Tattle Midna Fee. Uh, no. Nah, nah. Tattle, Midna, Navi, Fee. Yeah, like I said, I I think I just really need to replay Twilight Princess and get past some of this recency bias. And I'm really curious to see what you make of the King of Red Lions when we get to Wind Waker. Yeah. Agreed. So that that's all I want to say. Fee's farewell is is one of my most favorite and emotional scenes that I can remember in a Zelda game. So I I agree. I just think that the interactions with you get with her as your companion previous to that are not as great. But what Mike said before is totally true. Like the same thing happened to me. I was kind of underwhelmed on Fee going into the end of this game. And then that last cutscene really did take me by surprise. And I realized that I had maybe more emotional investment for that character than I thought I did. And so that's a pretty cool trick to pull off just in general. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, I think that about does it for the plot. Let's go ahead and get into part two now that we're 45 minutes into this episode uh, where we give an award each of us for the best dungeon in this game. I'm going to go first because my answer shouldn't surprise anybody. I still think the Ancient Cistern is the best dungeon in this game. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Its mechanics are fun. It's got two distinctly visually different areas. Um, It's got the best boss in the game. I just, I love the ancient cistern. Um, and maybe this comes, maybe I'm a little bit biased as, you know, being like an artist as well. So I look into the, the visual and the atmosphere of everything equally as much as the gameplay. And I think I can objectively admit that the gameplay of 
Ancient Cistern is not as fun as uh, the Lanayru Sandship, but I think at, taken as a whole, once you combine everything, it is my favorite dungeon. It's wonderful, and uh, it's a treat every single time that I play it, and this time was no exception. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and jump on that bandwagon. Um, I really did enjoy the discourse that uh, you and uh, Max Nichols had as far as the Lanayru Sandship, and I did love that dungeon, um, the different mechanics, the having to find the the one time shift stone over and over again um, was really kind of an interesting uh, point to that. And I don't know of another Zelda where that was was done necessarily just like that. I know y'all touched on it, but I'm going to throw my hat in with the ancient cistern. If it didn't have the, uh, what do we call it? The underground, under dark, however you want to call that, where you fight all the zombies and then have to climb the thread. That was really kind of a, I don't know about heart racing, but I felt real urgency during that part of the temple. And then Kalaktos is just, man, a real boss. Yeah. And boss in every sense of the word. He was super <laughs> fun picking up the giant swords and just using his own weapons against him. I think that was probably my favorite boss fight of a Zelda thus far. That is a bold statement that Kalaktos is your favorite Zelda boss fight. I, I I don't disagree with you. This is a bold statement. Upon upon replaying it, I don't know if I'm prepared to say that he's my favorite Zelda boss of all time, but he's really up there. Like if we went back and did our boss ranking bonus episode again, uh, I feel like he may end up even being in like my number two spot because Kalaktos is just really freaking fun. So, and, and give me the rest of the all's playthroughs on this podcast, because I've got a lot of Zelda left to play, as y'all have a lot of Zelda left to recap. But from what we've done, I, I would say between Ocarina, Link's Awakening, and Skyward, he is so far my favorite boss we've touched on. There you go. I think that is totally fair. Um, so, favorite dungeon, I'm going to have to go with the Lanayru Sandship. Um, I think that just from a mechanics and, and overall design perspective, it was it was the best. Its mini boss was so much fun. The 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 pirate battle, uh, you know, the jousting session or uh, fencing session you have with him was really great. Finally, being able to get the bow, which is always, in my opinion, the most fun uh, item in a Zelda game, um, at least in the three D Zelda games, uh, is is really impactful. And um, uh. Tentalus is a fun final boss. He's no Kalaktos, uh, but I think the rest of the dungeon and the enemies that you fight there and just the environment that you you progress through, the mechanics and the puzzles you solve with the use of the time stone and having to be having to interact with the time stone from various levels of the ship where you're in the bowels of the ship, but you have to be able to find the time stone to shoot it. Hello, Gatsby. Uh, to shoot it and activate certain things to progress. It it. it it adds a, a, a third or fourth layer to a dungeon that you don't see very often. Um, and I feel like, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I feel like they spent a lot of time and intentionality with this dungeon as compared to with some of the others. And it, it really pays off here. So I, I would say that the Lanayru Sandship is probably my favorite. Okay, so Mike and I say Ancient Cistern. Matt says the Lanayru Sandship. I think we can all agree that those are definitely the best Two. Yeah, those are by far the top two. And I and that's in a game full of amazing dungeons. I mean, we've said this several times. I'm going to say it one more time. There's not a bad dungeon in this game. They are all really good. 
So there you go. That's a good place to be in. Let's move on to part three in which we discuss our favorite item of the game. Mike, I'm going to send this to you first. What was your favorite item that you collected in Skyward Sword? Oh, man, that is hands down the beetle. Um, I had a really great time figuring out what I could do with that item because the possibilities are the, the sky is the limit on the beetle. I used it for combat. Um, I used it for recon. Really, it, it's pretty much everything I would want in a Zelda item, and it didn't feel out of place. If you would have told me a flying beetle was part of my inventory in this game at the beginning, I would have been a little skeptical about how much I like that um, or kind of what you could, pardon me, do with it. But I really think that it it was an amazing item. I love that it evolves with you kind of as you go, um, which was a big part of this game for me. The upgrading of gear I thought was a very interesting aspect. And upgrading the beetle was is highly important and also had some new payoff. I am going to jump in and just say, before I tell you what my favorite item was, I also think that the path that you go on to upgrade all of your pieces of gear in this game was really well done. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think that there are some things that the sequel to Breath of the Wild can learn about gear investment from the path that you go on to upgrade, not even like your key items like the beetle and the bow and the slingshot or whatever, but even just like your shields or your inventory items or whatever. Um, I think that there's a lot of good stuff happening there in terms of having to collect resources and, um, you know, spending time in what is essentially a well-designed loot system uh, to a loot resource system to upgrade your items. I think that that's really well done in this game. Um, my personal favorite item, I was going to say the beetle. Thinking about it now, I'm going to have to go with the bow just because I think this is probably my favorite incarnation of the bow in any Zelda game. Um, I like that it's got varying levels of power, like – because because bows in Zelda, especially the 3D Zeldas, they vacillate between being snipers with infinite like, you know, hit scan projectiles where it, there's no drop off and they're super powerful. And then ones where like in Breath of the Wild, some are more powerful than others. Some have a lot of drop off. Some have less. You have to account for like, you know, the arc of the arrow. Um, I like how this item has got both in one. You can fire it quickly to get a, a fast shot off or you can draw it completely and then it becomes its like sniper self. Um, and I really just enjoy that mechanic. So, and I think the bow in this game was great. What do you think the poundage on this bow was, Lyndon? I don't know enough about bow poundage to say, but probably pretty hefty. I'm pretty sure you could take down a boar with this thing oh, at the very least. You have to. So I had an impulse buy in college where I bought a 50 pound recurve bow. Of course you did. <laughs> and I was scrawny in college. I mean. Oh, I remember. Uh, yeah. Me, me and them weren't necessarily beefy boys. Um, I, I've bulked up a little bit out of necessity since then, but that 50 pound, I've bulked up a little bit out of bread and whiskey since then. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that that's the same, but <laughs> yes, um, the staples of every growing boys <laughs> diet, bread and whiskey, but, uh, the 50 pound draw was, was intense. And that was me being able to fire that thing maybe 10 times before I was worn out. And Link's just over here strumming that thing like a guitar, throwing arrows, miles. So either he's a beast, which we know he is, or there's some funny business going on with that bow. 
Who's to say, Mike? Who's really to say? Matt, give us your favorite item. I mean, you guys took the two that I was that I was thinking about. So I I, I have to. I don't want to be a uh, just a an agreeing shill, as as someone might say. But what a shill, man! Right? Um, I think that I think there are three items of real um impact in this game and um i'll just pick my i'll just list the three that i think are the most impactful and then i'll tell you my favorite i think the three most impactful are obviously the bow the beetle and the hook shot so the hook shot in this game is i think the only incarnation where you actually start out with the double hook shot i know in twilight princess you end up getting the double hook shot but um this game you start out with it which just opens up a, a breadth of mobility on the surface in every area of the surface at some point and um, it also opens up uh, mobility in Skyloft for where you can, uh, you know, go and complete some more of the side quests and some more of the uh, Gratitude Crystal uh, collecting. So I think from a purely utilitarian standpoint uh, and a movement perspective, the hook shots are extremely impactful. The beetle, as you said, Mike, is just one of the most frequently used items in the game. Um, but my personal favorite is always the bow. Like it, it really is. I love using the bow to, uh, to kill, <laughs> to kill book goblins. Like just uh, as much as I hate the escort, um, escort, the robot quest, uh, when he's carrying the, the pail of water, as much as I hate that, it is really satisfying to basically have the shooting gallery portion of that. Where you're just, just like, all about the murder. <laughs> I am all about the murder. So I love that. And I love upgrading the bow, um, the iron bow, I think is the coolest looking version of the bow, but the sacred bow is just so powerful and really good. And to your point, Lyndon, unlike the fairy bow in Ocarina of Time and unlike the hero's bow in Majora's Mask, where they're just a one dimensional, you know, push B and shoot or whatever, you've got, you've got some options here to where you can really dictate how far the arrow goes, how accurate it is, blah, 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 all those things. And the, uh, I think this game has one of the most fun shooting mini games where uh fledge is throwing the pumpkins like the the rupee shooting gallery in ocarina of time and majora's mask or the uh their octorox in majora's mask both of those shooting games are a lot of fun and i like them immensely but the uh the pumpkin tossing shooting game has some variability that really kind of throws you for a loop sometimes, which I find enjoyable. Oh, it was very fun. And I also like that you have to juice up fledge. To, to <laughs> you got to give him that. some roids. Well, that's a great segue into part, uh, actually part four is usually best music, but I'm going to swap these because we're talking about it. Part four is now going to be best side quest. So, uh, the way that this is broken down in the game is that basically the sky ends up being side quest zone where the surface is like puzzle solving zone. Um, and for better or worse, you know, I think that's got some good moments and some bad moments. I wish that there had been a little bit more side questy opportunities on the surface. Uh, but I want to talk about what you guys thought was the best side quest of this game. And just for the sake of having some like varied discussion here, you are not allowed to just say Betro's gratitude crystals because that's like all the side quests. So let's go ahead and each pick our favorite gratitude crystal side quest and go from there. Um I mean, does anyone <laughs> were were either of you going to jump in with with juicing up Fledge? No, juicing up Fledge, nah. while fun, uh, wasn't my it's my go to pick. Yeah, um, I would have to say everything dealing with the lumpy pumpkin. Um, I really liked the kind of arc that you have on that plane. The I'm shattering your 
your uh, chandelier for that heart piece. <laughs> and I didn't even feel bad about it. Nope, not at all. I mean, that that's a criminal mischief. And on, on my line of work, I'm going to have to assume that's at least a felony level with uh, the heart piece being involved. And he lets you out. it turns the, into theft. Well, yeah, theft and criminal mischief. And I mean, we are in Texas, so I don't know if this is reciprocal to a bunch of my listeners. but uh, <laughs> Or to Skyloft. Or to Skyloft. But, you know, I, I have to feel like that could have been bad for you. But he's like, you know what? You're going to work this off and maybe date my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Or is that his wife? I was unclear. Oh, it's his daughter. That's got to be daughter. That's, that's got to be his daughter, dude. So she, she looks like she's got some gray hair. I don't know. It ages you working at the pumpkin. <laughs> Sing for me every well, night. <laughs> so there's the, I, the only reason, the other reason I think that it's his daughter uh, is that if you go back after you complete the chandelier, like right before, uh, right before the song of the hero, there's the young man who's in there with the blonde hair. I don't know his name at all, but he's like, do you know what's up with Pippa? And like he's kind of like kind of trying to feel out whether or not you and Pippa have anything going okay, on. Okay, so all right. Think, like, okay, all right. I get where you're going. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And also, um, they have separate beds, so I'm just gonna read into that. Yeah, but that's kind of a weird. Like couples in Zelda do have separate beds. It's kind of a part of that old like you know when you watch an old movie like a Christmas Story or whatnot. I know a Christmas Story is not a particularly old movie, but it's portraying a couple in the thirties and they have like separate beds. I think that's just a thing that happened previous to like our generation or even our parents' generation where it's like the master bedroom had two double beds and they slept separately. And you're sitting here looking at it like, huh? Well, that doesn't look fun. No, I feel like now if you have separate beds, you're on the outs, which probably ain't great. Well, now you don't have separate beds. You have wife sleeps in the bed and you're in like the lazy boy. Yeah, sometimes the lazy boy is nice, though. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been sleeping on the lazy boy recently, Mike? Not recently. I mean, it's happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with the haunted bathroom side quest. Uh, When you have to go through the whole deal with Colin is attracted to how uh, who 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 is he trying to get you to give that love letter to Karina? Is it Karina or Karen or something like that? I forget. Anyway, Colin wants to get the hookup with that Skyloft chick. But uh, through a series of misadventures, some of which I found very hilarious, (laughs) we don't do that. Instead, we get Colin hooked up for all eternity with the toilet ghost. (laughs) (laughs) I love the toilet ghost. You either do that or you just crush his dreams further by getting uh, Pippet. Yeah, Pippet and her together. And then he hates you forever. And I... Pitt's kind of a D, like, let's be real. He just swoops in, like, I guess now I have feelings for you because someone else does. Like, no, her and Colin, like, give give the little little chubby man a chance. I personally hope that Colin and the toilet ghost are happy together. <laughs> I find that kind of unlikely, but you know what? <laughs> One can dream. Oh, uh, all right, Matt, your turn. Oh, man. Um... <sighs> Y'all took the t- y'all took the best ones. Um, specifically, Toilet Ghost was so good. I think I will go with the um, the item girl uh, 
love triangle oh, side quest. The Beatrice yeah, one? Yeah, Beatrice one, where uh, Beatrice, like, falls in love with you, and then her dad, Peter, is like, some guy is, com- like, talking to you, who is the guy that she's in love with. Some guy is coming around and bothering my girl. I need you, Link, to go over there and, like, make sure that he leaves her alone. And you're in this awkward position of, like, wait, hold on. <laughs> she's she's attracted to me. I am not attracted to her. Like, I don't know what's going on here. So but you- at one point, you can tell her that you like her. You can. But it's very dishonorable because Link is obviously in love with Zelda. So I did it. You just, did? Just to see what would happen from uh-huh. like a, a morbid curiosity standpoint. Yeah. And I was hoping that maybe it created some weird spinoff where Link ends up with her and just drops the quest. <laughs> <laughs> Not that not that kind of game, unfortunately. That no, not that man. kind of game. <laughs> it's like Demise takes over the surface. Everyone is dead, but Link and Beatrice are together in the clouds. <laughs> Yeah, so that one's really fun just from like a purely awkward perspective when if you're playing it from the Link and Zelda are together standpoint, you have to be in that awkward position of she likes me and her dad knows that she likes somebody and wants me to rough up the guy that she likes, which is also me. Uh, well, your answer will make Nintendo fangirl Sam O'Neill very happy. She of the 10 out of 10 Beatrice cosplay. It was a very 10 out of 10 Beatrice cosplay, no doubt. So yeah, I would have to say just from a... Uh, hilarious standpoint outside of toilet ghost being definitely funnier but you already took that one so uh item item girl crushing on link uh, is a fun one all right let's get into part five which is going to be best music and this is going to be a big one because we've mentioned this several times it needs to be reiterated the music in this game is so good i am willing to say right here and now that i think skyward sword's soundtrack is the best of any zelda game i absolutely agree I also concur. I mean, there's not like a bad song. There isn't. I really like, um, I'm going to go with kind of a cop-out answer and say that I really, my favorite piece of music is the credits roll because it's got like lots of different musical themes in it. Um, but yeah, but if you're going to make me go more specific than that, I think there's several times in this game where there's a version of the Ballad of the Goddess that's being played that's very like, it's that soft, like, harp version of it. Um, and to me, that just feels so much like this game. The Ballad of the Goddess is a great piece of music, and I love its, like, big, bombastic, uh, you know, main theme version as well. But to me, the more, like, delicate harp version, it just feels so much like Skyward Sword. It has so much of that tone um, and some of the softness that you get in in the character development, it's all wrapped up in that. So that's probably going to be mine um, with a second place being the Lanayru Sansi music uh, because that that has like a cool nautical theme and you've got that awesome back and forth of like using the time shift stone and it becomes a little bit more industrial, you know. Um, so that's really cool. But yeah, uh, the Ballad of the Goddess on the Harp is my personal favorite one. I'm going to go with two if I can. Um, So I really like the music that played during Fee's Farewell, but as much trouble as it was to get, I liked the song of the hero with the the different vocals coming in from the dragons. When they all fly up to you and Levius and, and really complete the song, I thought that was pretty awesome yeah it was pretty epic and it brought me kind of back to the uh the vocals from ocarina whenever you're in the temple of time uh kind of like the monks chant you know, yeah um 
whatever the, the 16th, 17th century monks in the Gregorian. The yeah, Gregorian. There you go. I'm kind of getting that vibe off of it, um, but I really enjoyed the way they brought that together in the different pieces. Yeah, I, the song of the hero is definitely fun to hear once it's all completed, right? You at least feel like, okay, that was, I wouldn't say worth it, but you know, it was, it was good, right? Like it was fun. So I think I will go with, um, I'll probably go with the, the the theme that plays during Fee's Farewell. Um, I think that that song really brings home the emotional closure uh, that that is rampant at the end of the game. It ties up Impa's story and Fee's story all with the same theme. And it is sort of a variation on the goddess's theme in some ways. Um, and so I, I really appreciate that. It is just a soothing um, and calming song as well. Um so that's probably my favorite, followed very closely, of course, by um, you know the main credits theme uh, for sure, with the, just the epic and the uh, what's the word we, we've been using, Lyndon? Um, grandiose. Yeah, that that one, grandiose feel and and gesture that the game holds. Um, so I think those those two pieces of music sum up to me the tone that is throughout Skyward Sword is grandiose and emotional. Cool. Great answers all around. None of those pieces of music are bad. There's not a bad piece of music in this game. So honorable there you go. honorable mention to the Earth Temple soundtrack, which we all uh, briefly forgot when Mike was on the first yes. time. <laughs> and then we played it and we were all like, oh, that was so good. <laughs> I actually do agree with you, Mike, that the song of the hero as a piece of music is really cool, especially because it starts bringing in like bits and pieces of the classic Zelda theme into itself, you know, uh, that's that's really neat. And that's the kind of thing that you don't see happen in Zelda games a whole lot, except for when it is the the actual overworld theme, you know, that kind of doesn't count. But like you don't get that classic music brought into these games all that often. And you do there. And it was it was neat. So I appreciate that as well. That'll be a third place for me. All right, guys, let's get into part six, which is our final thoughts and ranking. And this is going to be really the meat of this whole discussion, I think. Um, I want to start off by doing our ranking, and then we're each going to go in and talk about our reasons for what we think and feel after that. So we've settled on a format previous to recording this episode about how we're going to do this. The current ranking is number one, Ocarina of Time, number two, Link's Awakening. All right. Matt and Mike. If you think that Skyward Sword is better than Link's Awakening, raise your hand. Matt and Mike both say yes, I say no. If you guys think that Skyward Sword is better than Ocarina of Time, raise your hand. Matt raises his hand. Mike and I do not. The new ranking is Ocarina of Time at number one, Skyward Sword at number two, and Link's Awakening at number three. So, Matt, I'm going to give the floor to you. Why do you feel that this game is better than Ocarina of Time and Link's Awakening? So, first off, I have to fully acknowledge my own bias uh, on pro 3D games versus 2D games. So, I have to fully acknowledge that that is my bias. And as much as I am doing all of this and being trying to be as objective as possible, I just enjoy the 3D games more. There's more characterization. There's more emotion. There's more feel. There's there's more there. There's more mechanics, et cetera, et cetera. I, I can go on for all the reasons I like them more. So that's why I like it more than Link's Awakening. Um, and not to go too far into what I assume will be my main defense of why I think it's better than Ocarina of Time. 
I also think that Skyward Sword takes many of the things that are best about 3D Zelda games and takes them to another level of of excellence that is not seen in, in many other games. So just specifically, that's why I think it's better than Link's Awakening. Mike, why do you think this game is better than Link's Awakening but not as good as Ocarina of Time? Okay, so starting out with Ocarina of Time, I have the massive nostalgia factor for Ocarina. Um, first game, first Zelda, and I've played that game probably through more than any other game I've ever played. Maybe Skyrim's approaching that, um, which there's a lot of hours in both of those games. Ocarina is one of those games that I can pick up, play, and I do not have a bad time at all playing that game. Um, I can play through it halfway, put it down for months, come back, finish it, and it it still has the same... It, it hits just the same for me. This game, Skyward, I really thoroughly enjoyed. I'll say that. I don't know that I would come back and play this as much as I do Ocarina. I don't know if that's because of the nostalgia I also have. Um, I like this story more. I, I will say narratively, I do think that Skyward is superior from a purely narrative standpoint. But gameplay, not plot, but the world, I, I think that I like Ocarina's world more. Um, when it comes to Link's Awakening, I have a similar bias to Matt, not having played really any of the the 2D Zeldas, just based on consoles growing up. Um, I don't have that nostalgia factor for them. I, I disagree with Matt on the fact that I don't think that there's as much emotion. I think that with, it is Marin, right? And yes. in Link's Awakening, I really thought Marin was a compelling character. Um, I felt emotion through that game. I thought the soundtrack was amazing. I think the way it was broken up and still fairly linear kind of detracts for me. This game, Skyward, was a fairly linear game as well. Um, but I think that it still has the upper hand on Link's Awakening just due to what the 3D characters and and world building kind of had going for it. So that is why it's above Link's Awakening for me. If I was more into the 2D, I could see that maybe being different, but I have a similar issue. And I want to clarify that I don't think that 2D games lack emotion, like, entirely. It's just that I I have a more difficult time resonating with what they're trying to get across within the 2D games. I do also find Marin a compelling character, but comparatively to the characters that are in the 3D games, even the characters in Ocarina of Time, I have a much more difficult time resonating with the characters in 2D games than I do with with those in the 3D. Okay. So, obviously, I ranked Skyward Sword the lowest out of everybody, and I don't want it to seem like I don't think Skyward Sword is an amazing, wonderful game because I really do think that. I love this game so much. I will replay it. I'll always have a good time replaying it. What it comes down to for me is, one, where we keep talking about the nostalgia factor. The two games that defined my childhood playing video games the most are Link's Awakening and Ocarina of Time. Link's Awakening was my first video game that I ever owned. Ocarina of Time was the first game that I ever like looked forward to coming out. I played them both so, so much. Um, I think that 
when it comes down to just story, just plot, Skyward Sword is the best. It tells an amazing story. It's incredible. Um, where it kind of falls short from the others for me is in its it, it's the confidence with which it is designed and built. Um, I think that Ocarina of Time and Link's Awakening, for very different reasons, are the exact games that the people who designed them intended for them to be. They are uh, – they are high performance sports cars of games. Like there's not a single moment where you're playing through it and you think, oh, okay, well, we kind of took a little detour here because um I don't know, for whatever reason. Like they wanted to add more time to the runtime, or they wanted to make you go back to this section uh more or whatever. Uh and I think Skyward Sword does have those moments that we've talked about. Like Skyward Sword, for all of the for all of the high highs that it has, it also has some of the lowest lows in any Zelda game, and not many. Like certainly not enough to make it a bad game or even anything less than a great game. But they do exist, and I cannot say that for Link's Awakening and Ocarina of Time. Um, and also, I do not have like I I tend to revere the top down. Zelda games equally to the 3ds so I've got that as well like I I you know I don't have a bias one way or the other that makes me enjoy one more than the other um so yeah just for all of those reasons I think that Skyward Sword while being really amazing and you know I'm expecting it to remain in the upper half at least of my overall ranking once we're done with this whole thing I think that I do enjoy Link's Awakening and Ocarina of Time more just because I think that they are more um, they are more confident and more consistently excellent games all the way through. Fair enough. I, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from. I really do. And with the way you've explained it, I, I completely get where you're coming from. The the backtracking portions of this game do detract from from the overall enjoyability for me. I think if the narrative points and plot were just a smidge less successful, I would agree with you. Cool. I mean, look, uh, it needs to be said once again that even even the worst Zelda game is one of the best Zelda games of all time, and I do not think this is anywhere close to the worst Zelda game. So. The beautiful thing to remember is there's still a lot of Zelda coming. We've barely we're, the, we're three out of thirteen, right? Yeah, the, like, the tip of the iceberg, really. And I think that some of the games that we're going to be getting to, eh, Majora's Mask, Wind Waker, are really going to shake up this top three. At least for me, mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see what Wind Waker does for Matt, and I really am excited to play Link to the Past because with how much y'all have kind of hyped it for me. I think that it will be a top contender as well. Yeah, I, I'm very excited as well. Um, replaying this, I definitely have to say I didn't enjoy it as much as I remember enjoying it. Okay, so don't go too far down that path. We're going to take one hot second. Matt, I would like you to pour us each another round. So what I want to do now is I want to give Matt the floor. Because as we said at the top of this episode, he is the Skyward Sword mega fan. He puts this on the pedestal at the very top over anything else up until this point at least. 
having gone through the entire game and tried to analyze it from as critical and objective as a perspective as you possibly can, Matt, where did you land in terms of like, I don't know, uh, like analyzing this as critically as you possibly can? Uh, where did you come away? Like what, what, what were your takeaways? Yeah. So I'll start out with why I ranked it above Ocarina of Time. I have equally a strong nostalgia factor as either of you for Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time was my very first video game. Like I remember I was young enough that when Lyndon brought home Ocarina of Time was really when I was starting to be in start started uh, enjoying and being invested in video games. Ocarina of Time was my very first and I have all the nostalgia for it. Um, as I have played through it more in my adulthood, it has not tarnished is the wrong word, but um, it is still the most groundbreaking game from a industry perspective that I can personally think of besides maybe Mario 64. And um, it is a phenomenal game. It is designed impeccably well. It, it paces well and it moves forward with a purpose. And I love Ocarina of Time. I think that Skyward Sword takes everything great about 3D puzzle solving and combat based games and and honors those things and elevates some some of it as well. I think it utilizes the especially with the stick and button layout as compared to the motion controls. It utilizes directionality in a much more effective way than any game that I have personally played. Um, like even when you think about Skyrim, even when you think about other combat based games, there is no game that intentionally forces you except for maybe for honor is, is, you know, similar is that the combat is based around using your weapons and your, uh, items and your sword and your shield in a manner to directly counter your foe. I think it does that extremely well. I think the dungeons that are in Skyward Sword are consistently the best dungeons like overall like the the group of dungeons that are in skyward sword are their average their line average is is better than any zelda game i have played as much as i love the the dungeons in ocarina of time the spirit temple the forest temple specifically um there are others in ocarina of time that just fall way short that i don't love that like when i get to those dungeons i dread playing them the water temple i don't love the fire temple in ocarina of time um jabu jabu's belly like there's there's three or four just off the top of my head right there that i'm just like I don't want to replay those dungeons. There is not a single dungeon in Skyward Sword that I enter that dungeon and groan about playing. Like, I like them, and I find them enjoyable. Um, as I've said many, many times, the plot and the characterization that you find in Skyward Sword is, is bar none the best in any Zelda game. The soundtrack, bar none the best. And so when I think about what I come to a Zelda game to experience, I come to experience an engaging plot I come to experience fantastic dungeons with good puzzles and I come to enjoy my time with uh, the combat and the enemies and, and the systems and the item utilization. And I totally understand like Max will come to a Zelda game and he said this, he comes to a Zelda game to explore. I don't. When I want to explore in a game, I'll go play Skyrim or I'll go play the Witcher or I'll go play a game that I can sink 250 hours into and never touch the main quest. Right. I don't play Zelda games as hiking games. And I know that that might be um, 
blasphemy because A.G. Onuma himself has, has, has said that he has designed Zelda games to be hiking, you know, to be about hiking and Breath of the Wild being the purest form of that expression, right? I don't engage with Zelda games in that way. So to me, while I totally and completely agree, and I will get into this in a second, that there is some pacing difficulty with the Skyward Sword, I think that what I come to a Zelda game to enjoy the most, Skyward Sword brings it in spades. And and more than I have experienced in any other Zelda game so far in recent memory. Well said, Matt. Thank you. I appreciate that, Mike. So what what I want to get to after that is kind of the, the critical takes, right? And like what you said, Lyndon, is we're doing this podcast not to just sit here and ramble on about how great all Zelda games are. That's not that's not fun for anybody. Um, so critically speaking, I as I played through this game with a more objective mindset. I did come away seeing more flaws within Skyward Sword than I originally um, gave it credit for, specifically the pacing and the backtracking. I was very adamant going into this podcast that the backtracking isn't that bad. Like, yeah, you got a couple down spots and yeah, it kind of sucks. But especially now and in the format that we're playing it, I think maybe... uh, exacerbated that a little bit more where I had to sit on it for a whole week about, man, I just played this section of game that ground me to a halt. And like, I didn't just power straight through it and get right into the next section. I played the section and then sat down and analyzed it and thought about it and chewed on it. And then I got back into the next section, which was more upbeat. So maybe that exacerbated it a little bit for more for me than, than in the past where I would have just powered through the section that sucked and gotten right back into a good section. But I mean, it just really is jarring how how the backtracking just takes you out of the moment and out of the momentum of the game. And um, it, it was more pronounced for me now than it was previously. So uh, as as much as I would love to say that I think Skyward Sword will remain at number one for me, I actually am not super confident of that. Um, moving forward, I think that there are some games that may dethrone Skyward Sword for me moving forward. Um, first one that comes to mind is Majora's Mask. I think Majora's Mask has a very strong um, contender spot to dethrone Skyward Sword for me um, because it brings a lot of those same things that I value of Skyward Sword, the emotion and the plot and the uh, the characterization. It brings a lot of that to bear, but doesn't have the pacing problems and the backtracking issues that Skyward Sword really has, especially in our uh, Isle of Songs and Song of the Hero portions of the game. Fair enough. All right. Really appreciate you laying all that out for us. Um, I, I don't think anybody at this at this point can say that you have not been analyzing this game as objectively as possible. And that's the whole goal of this entire thing. So mission accomplished. I mean, seriously, like we've we've covered a lot of ground with this game. There was a lot more I feel like to dig into in the ups and downs of this game than the ones that we played before this. So. For sure. And like we've said before, it's the next genera it's the Star Trek next generation of Zelda, right? It's got really high highs and just really low lows. And, um, and they were both more pronounced than I remembered them being, uh, in this playthrough. Cool. One last thing I want to talk about before we get out of here. We don't usually talk about the main mechanics of the game because they're typically consistent. The 2Ds all basically control the same way. The 3Ds all basically control the same way. In Skyward Sword, we have a huge departure in the way that we conduct combat and the way that the entire game sandbox is constructed. And so 
you know, the whole fantasy of Skyward Sword is that you are controlling the sword. You are engaging with sword combat in a deeper way than you ever do in any other Zelda game, even ones that come after Skyward Sword. Breath of the Wild does not have as deep of a sword play um, mechanic as Skyward Sword does. So I just want to ask both of you guys, do you feel like, and answer in no particular order, do you feel like the combat fantasy of Skyward Sword is a success? I will say yes. Um, I really did enjoy the different combat in this game versus the other Zeldas. The having to worry more about directionality was was fun for me. It wasn't something that I'm necessarily dying to have in another game. Um, at least personally, I really liked the Breath of the Wild combat. The skill ceiling is high in some of these games, even without this mechanic. And that's kind of what gets me... There, there were times, even with the stick and button layout in this game, where my head knew what it wanted to do and my hands would not cooperate, which I found frustrating at times. I did not have the same difficulty on final blows as, as <laughs> either of y'all seem to have. But th- there were aspects of the combat that, while I found it enjoyable, I could I could necessarily take or leave. Um, so I, I enjoyed this as a, a combat standpoint. Do I want all Zeldas to transition to this? No. Matt? I, as I've said, one of my main reasons for enjoying Skyward Sword as much as I do is the combat system. So obviously I would have to say that, yes, I think the combat system is amazing. One thing I do wish was a little bit more impactful to Mike's point was I really enjoy in Breath of the Wild how dodges are as are equally as important as uh, shield parries. And I kind of wish that they had used that a little bit more in this game. Flurry rushes are so much fun in Breath of the Wild. And like, I think it kind of would have been cool to be able to flurry rush in Skyward Sword. Um, obviously, this is the first game where you have a perfect parry mechanic, um, which is very satisfying. It's very satisfying. I think the um, I think Breath of the Wild iterates on the perfect parry much better than Skyward Sword, just on the basis that Skyward Sword's perfect parry is a very long window. Like you can basically do the shield bash at the start of an animation that the enemy is trying to hit you with and it'll still perfect parry. So I think it's a little too forgiving and sometimes, so I'd like to see that difficulty ramped up to our Breath of the Wild uh, level of timing. Um, but other than that, I, I did really, really enjoy the the variation uh, here that Skyward Sword brings. I think it's a good mechanic as well. I think it's successful. It really sells the fantasy of sword combat. Um, in the way that they wanted it to. I think it worked really well with the motion controls on the Wii, and I think it works equally well on the stick and button layout, and I'm still to this day astounded that they managed to find a way to translate it. Uh, I've said this, I think, in in one of the two earlier episodes, or seasons of the show that I always felt like if Skyward Sword ever came to the Switch, it would have to be a docked-only play, uh, similar to how like Super Mario Party is, and it's just like, hey, here's this game, um, it's on the Switch and it's got better graphics. If you want to play it, you've got to play it docked with the Joy-Cons. I thought it was going to be that way. And I'm I'm just really astounded that they found a way to circumvent that and make it an equal gameplay experience to the motion controls. I'm kind of with Mike where if this is ever done again in a Zelda game, I think it needs to be fine-tuned and iterated on in such a way to where it is more like there's there's more depth 
to it and more of a skill ceiling. And if they can't find a way to do that, then I think the Breath of the Wild combat system has that already in in a variety of different ways, like Matt was saying. So, yeah, maybe not something we ever go back to, but I'm glad that it is here. I'm glad that there is a Zelda game that uses this. I think in the in the canon of Zelda games trying crazy new things, this is one of the more successful things. Totally agree with all of that. Cool. All right, guys, that concludes the Sacred Realms recap for Skyward Sword. There was a lot to get into there. Some really good conversation. I am so happy that uh, we had all three of us on this one to really hash it out because, you know, there's like I said, there was just a lot there to reiterate. The final ranking as it stands right now is number one, Ocarina of Time, number two, Skyward Sword, number three, Link's Awakening. What will Link to the Past do? We'll just have to find out. That journey will, of course, start again next Wednesday, November 17th. We will be playing the game intro through the Eastern Palace Dungeon. So buckle in, get ready. It's going to be a wild ride, and I can't wait to get into it. Mike, Matt, you guys are truly excellent co-hosts. Thank you for being here to help round out what has been an, an incredible season of Sacred Realms. Hey, it's always my pleasure uh, being the co-host on the show, the only consistent co-host, Mike, before you try to jump in there, uh, has is truly one of my great uh, pleasures in life. I don't want your job, Matt. <laughs> I, th- I think you do, is the thing. I, you're looking at me in a weird way. I'm going to have to watch I, myself I like when I drinking go whiskey, hanging out with Lyndon and you, and smoking cigars. And talking about Zelda, okay, well, you can have it. Thank you, thank you, Mike. I'm glad <laughs> but, we're glad we're on the same page. Thank y'all for having me. I love coming and hanging out and talking about Zelda. It it just brings some joy to my heart. Mike, we'll catch up with you again sometime in the uh, Link to the Past season. I was talking to Matt before we started recording this episode. Weirdly enough, Link to the Past is going to be a longer season of this show than Skyward life. Sword. No, does uh, we've got we've got I think two two more episodes in Link to the Past than we do on this one. Okay. If you say so. It's one or two, but either way, it is longer uh, because we're breaking it down by dungeons and there are more dungeons in Link to the Past. Um, But regardless, that journey starts, like I said, next week. If you guys enjoyed today's show and you'd like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacred realms pod and become a patron if you've got no rupees it's not a problem five star apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us more reviews means that more people see our show and that makes us very happy hylians follow us on twitter and instagram at sacred realms pod for updates on the podcast and for behind the scenes action sacred realms will be back next wednesday with our thoughts on link to the past from the game intro through the eastern palace we would As always, love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. A Link to the Past can be played in several different places. Um, The 3DS eShop, the Wii U eShop, there was a cartridge on the Game Boy Advance. It's on the Super Nintendo Mini that Nintendo put out. You can always boot up your Super Nintendo with its original cartridge if that is still working for you, or you can do what we're doing and play it on the Nintendo Switch via the Nintendo Switch Online subscription. In the meantime, may your hearts be full, may your arrows never miss, for the final time in Sacred Realms Season 3. We'll catch you guys next time. 
Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Shops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameShops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.